Hi everyone, welcome to another 21 and Sensory podcast. On today's episode, I have Chris and James from the London Autism Group Charity. So I'm going to do a quick intro to both Chris and James. So Dr. Chris Papadopoulos is a principal lecturer in public health at the University of Bedfordshire and is a director of health research in the School of Society, Community and Health. He teaches on a range of postgraduate health courses, in particular the MSc in Public Health. He founded the London Autism Group in 2014 and London Autism Group Charity in 2017, and he is the charity lead. Chris has three children, two of whom are autistic. And we also have the lovely James. James Gordon is a London Autism Group Charity trustee, as well as a dad and carer to his own autistic son. He is also the mastermind behind the London Autism Services Map, which I'm going to get into chat about a little bit um, further on in this podcast. So, um, yeah, Chris and James, do you want to say hi? <laughs> hi, lovely to be here. Thanks for having us. Hi there. Thanks so much for coming on. So you might have potentially heard me on the London Autism Group um, podcast and you might have heard in one of my previous episodes I talked about being on it but I thought it'd be nice if we did like a podcast swap where we both go on each other's podcasts because why not <laughs> so um, yeah I thought it might be might be nice to do a swap so I don't know if you both want to do like a little bit more of an intro um, on both of you and how you kind of came to be involved with the charity I know that the London Autism Group started as a Facebook group and then kind of developed into a sort of charity. So it'd be interesting to hear you talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, on, again, thank you so much for having us. Really honoured. But I believe this is our first sort of collab on any podcast. So mm-hmm. we're, we're genuinely honoured that it's with <laughs> you, uh, Emily. Um, so the, the, the sort of beginnings of it all really was back in twenty. Uh, 13 when my son was uh, three years old and this was my first son and uh, uh, we, be, we we found out he was autistic and uh, he got the diagnosis quite early on but for me personally this was the sort of beginning of my world into autism I hadn't really had personal experience before and I didn't know anybody really back then uh, locally in the community that I could connect with and so forth. So I reached out, I had a little look online to see if I could connect with anybody, in particular uh, fathers. I was really uh, looking in particular for, for fathers. Uh, my wife, uh, she was finding people, you know, you know, uh, connections, you know, other mums, you know, in, in the community and people that she knew. But for me, I, I was really struggling to connect with people and I, I was feeling quite isolated, honestly, you know, I didn't know how to feel or think. It was all quite confusing and anxiety provoking. And so I went online, couldn't find anyone. And I thought, you know what, I need to, if I can't find anyone, rather than just backing away, I need to do something about it. And maybe there are many other fathers like me who, not just fathers, but just people generally that that are in a similar situation, can't, you know, uh, are quite isolated and, you know, want to connect with others, especially locally. So I went online and I decided, you know, I'm going to create a Facebook group um, and uh, see what happens. And initially I thought I'll create something, you know, quite uh, specific to my little area where I live in North London. Uh, But then I I realized that's quite small. You know, I mean, how many how many people really would that capture? So I decided, you know, maybe So I I think I thought, you know, maybe I should go nationally. Maybe I should do a UK kind of group, you know, and, and do it that way. But then I thought 
Well, with, with the UK, it's difficult to get a sense of community. You know, I mean, everybody's scattered around the UK and yes, you can connect with others, but forming a kind of shared community where people feel connected, that's going to be quite challenging. So I set off for London, you know, the city that I live in. And I had a look and, and there really wasn't anything London wide that I could see online that was specifically catered for the autism community. So, yeah, I decided to call it London Autism Group and started it off uh, in uh, early 2014. And um, yeah, and, and very quickly, I think my theory was proved right. You know, there were lots of other people wanting to connect that hadn't, had that, hadn't found the home online that they were looking for perhaps previously. And the group grew quite, quite quickly indeed. And after about, uh, well, after, after a few hundred people had joined, I think James was one of the early, early joiners. Uh, I decided I needed a little bit of admin support because I, what I learned was running a, an a online Facebook group is actually a lot harder than what it sounds like. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot to it. It's quite, quite complicated. You know, you need a lot of rules. You need, you need to keep an eye on everything that's going on. You know, you, it requires a lot of management. I don't think I was fully prepared for that when I first started it. And so I realized early on, I need, I need help. And I found this lovely lady uh, called Joe and uh, Joe seemed to know everything and everyone, honestly speaking. And she uh, really was instrumental in, in moving it forwards uh, early on. Uh, and then James came along shortly after that. And so did a few other admin members who've come and gone. Uh, but James uh, has, has been instrumental and he really was part of the key uh, team that helped me form the charity three years later because we decided you know yes the group is great Facebook group is great it was having an impact and it was actually having a bigger impact than I could have ever anticipated honestly speaking the amount of things that we did with it you know for example uh, the beginnings of the map that James will, will talk about started in that group and so forth but after a few years I decided with, with James's support we decided you know, well, let's let's form a charity. Let's take this further. You know, with a charity, there's so much more that we can do. You know, so uh, James and I formed the charity uh, in December 2017, and yeah, over the last, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but over the last couple of years in particular, we've been really, really busy, and, and that's a very brief summary of of yeah, where we're, how we've got to where we are with um, you know today in terms of where the charity is and, and so forth and how it how it began and this little journey. But I'll shut up now and uh, hand over to James. <laughs> Apologies for that. <laughs> no, no, thank you. It's really interesting to hear a little bit like about your kind of history as well, even though it's not, you know, it hasn't been going that long, but to it's interesting that you started from an online presence and have now mm. kind of gone more towards like a charity and a physical kind of presence. That's really- um, Yeah, I mean, it, it, we did plan when we formed the charity. Yes, we did indeed plan for more f physical in-person stuff. You know, we wanted to grow it in that way for sure. But then, you know, obviously the, the, the pandemic hit, you know, um, soon after, you know, and that really sort of changed quite a bit of our direction and our plans you know there are there was uh, we were for example running something called solace which i'll just probably get into a little bit later which is a sort of in-person group basically covid has impacted on what we've decided to do as a charity and what we've been able to do and james did you want to did you want to say hi <laughs> yeah so um i really came 
uh, on board because um, I'd had a lot of experience supporting uh, families. Um, that's my son in the background. Um, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think he's a little bit older than than Chris's sons. <laughs> so I'd already had quite a bit of experience on, on Facebook um, supporting families. I was looking for a London group and, and wondering whether to create my own group, but then I found Chris's group. So <laughs> that was really an opportune time. And I came on board and I had like a lot of resources um, to help them with. Uh, they were just looking for some admin support as well because they were growing the group was growing quite rapidly. Um, we got from about 100 when I joined, it, it got to like 1,000 really quickly. Okay. Um, so, and, and we expanded the admin team and things like that. Um, and we were doing a lot of signposting of um, people, what I call signposting to, to um, organisations that support families and autistic people. Um, and one of the comments that I sort of got sick of hearing was, um, oh, there's no support out there. There's no organization organization that can help my problem. But it was always the same kind of problems that were coming up. Um, and I was always able to Google something and find something. Um, so I decided in the end, instead of taking up, all our admin time was taken up, uh, like hours and hours were taken up signposting people. Decided to create a Google map myself because I found out you could do that. Mm-hmm. And then I I'd already kept all the information that I'd given to people. Um, so it was quite simple to just um, visit these organizations' websites, get their contact details and descriptions. And um, I, I sort of uploaded them to Google. And then I've, I just put the link uh, initially on our Facebook page and then when we started the charity I made a website for the charity uh, I sort of <laughs> the reason I became an, an admin uh, I said to Chris at the time it's quite funny I said um, this is only temporary until you find somebody but I've sort of stayed there because there hasn't been anybody you know to come along to replace me so I've just stayed there um, and so, you know, I sort of step in when things need to be done and, and uh, are taking a little bit long to achieve. Um, so, yeah, we, we got the website up really quickly and then um, I put a lot of resources, information on there that we've had and um, the map is one of the things. The map is actually quite popular because um, it got picked up by, uh, I think it's, uh, a website used by the City of London. Uh, so I think that might be like the Mayor of London or something like that. Their official website um, put a link to us on there. Okay. So I think um, anybody, uh, you know, looking to the to London's official website, like a it's a bit like a tourist site as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll find a link to the map on there as well. Um, I think it's had about 50,000 downloads or something like or views or whatever it is. 
hopefully it's it's been of help to somebody <laughs> yeah definitely i've had a look at it a few times and i'm definitely going to link it in the show notes as well um as your website and your social media obviously um but it's like a real i've never seen such an in-depth like pool of like services and like branches for like autism support services and stuff like that and like even like autism groups and things like that it's really interesting to see and also it goes out much further than like London then actually it's yeah. quite like wide-reaching so it's it's really good I'm going to pop a link it's, in the show it's notes. because of the membership we've got in in the Facebook group and also uh, our charity is commissioned to support people in London but London is the definition of London is quite fluid you know so it's London, London and surrounding counties and that includes quite a big area around London. Uh, so it's really most of the southeast uh, is, is, is kind of our, our network of, of connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's really good. And the website as well, like it's really useful to see like all the different like services and things you can offer. And like I was looking at your newsletter the other the other day as well. And just the breadth of different like support and just like groups and different like zoom things that you do and live streams and obviously your podcast and like there's so many different like bits that come into your like charity work so I was going to ask you both how on earth do you juggle you know this with just living in general and obviously um Chris obviously like all your kind of like research and education work and stuff like that and both of you being dads as well like that's a lot to do (laughs) Uh, James, do you want to say or shall I go ahead? Um, can, all right, I'll go for some. Um, so I think it's just based on um, that we really care about the community, the autistic community. Um, and, you know, we, we, we are determined to make a difference. So we just um, managed to fit it in. To whatever we're doing so we're like really focused on um being aware of everything that needs doing and we somehow fit it all in as we're going um and we also started to take on board a few volunteers and and uh delegate some tasks to them so that we free up our time for new things um that that newsletter that we've got on the website is only up until March this year. So mm-hmm. we, I'm starting to put together a new newsletter, um, which probably won't take very long. We've done an awful lot more than that uh, since I wrote the newsletter and, and put that up there. Um, and, you know, everyone will be able to, to read about that. So to answer your uh, earlier question about how, how we manage it all, um, I think I'd like to sort of echo what, James was saying really from my side it's about really being passionate about you know the work that we do that we genuinely do care and we genuinely are all about just making a difference to people's lives and I think when you have that kind of mindset that you really are driven to make a difference to have an impact on someone's life um, that really you know uh, makes us put in the energy and time uh, you know required to do all the things that we we do so i think ultimately the most important thing is is you genu- genuinely genuinely gen- genuinely passionate about it you know um the other thing is i'm quite efficient with my time so i'm always you know um carefully planning bits and pieces uh of work of the charity 
uh, on my sort of daily timetable. So after the end of each of my uh, uh, sort of normal day job days, I'd always, you know, do a little bit of work on the charity and it it adds up, you know, that, that time adds up. And then in the evenings from time to time, James and I will work on various things. And then not to mention in between, we're always messaging. James and I are always messaging. We've got fantastic um, kind of, uh, ability to communicate with each other James and I you know when you I think I mean I think that's the other piece of the puzzle here James and I work really well together you know mm-hmm. I'm really lucky to have found someone like James where you know it just works and I think that just really that really is crucial isn't it to to being impactful in what you want to do you want to work with people that you know you connect with you have a good rapport with that get what you're get where you're coming from that know how to challenge you because that's the thing I like about James, you know, I'll, I'll say, I think, I think we should do it this way. And James will say, mm, what about that way? And then, you know, I mean, it's, and it's very constructive, you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's not anything other than that really. So it just, we just work well together. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's great. I, I love it, you know, and uh, uh, you know, when the, when there are days and times where I, where I'm not doing it and I'm just sitting around watching TV, I get a little bit sort of anxious almost that I'm not using my time efficiently. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I ultimately more than anything, I enjoy it, you know, and uh, that's it. I think it's amazing that you've, you've kind of taken this upon yourself in that you were, you know, your child was diagnosed as autistic and then you were kind of looking out in the community to try and find kind of support for yourself as a dad. And the fact that you saw that gap and thought, do you know what, I'll do something about it is a huge thing to take on, you know, alongside everything else that you're doing. But it sounds like both you and James, obviously James is busy with life as well, that you're both so passionate about it. And it almost doesn't, it almost feels like a kind of passion project and something that you know is doing good in the world. And I think that's it's really great that you've kind of, not seen a gap in the market but you have in a way kind of seen that you know in London there isn't that particular kind of support network and that actually it would be really beneficial to make something like a group like a support group and through Facebook I just think it's it's amazing that you give up your time and you're you're genuinely passionate about it to do it alongside everything else that you must be massively busy with (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, that's nice of you to say, Emily. I mean, for me, you know, back in 2013, 2014, when I was going through a bit of turmoil, but honestly speaking, a bit of psychological turmoil with it, you know, with coming to this realisation of, you know, being in a different world that I hadn't planned for and, you know, what this all means. And, you know, I was really sort of, you know, in a tricky position, honestly speaking. But I'm very, very lucky, you know, and I was raised, you know, with, um, you know, parents who you know really honestly speaking it conveyed these kinds of values to me that you know if there's a problem you know try and try and do something about it and in particular um my mum I have to give her some credit here because she uh her, she too formed a charity uh during her her life and uh did it you know exactly in the same way you know in, on top of her day job on top of parenting and so she was quite a good inspiration for me honestly speaking she formed a really successful a charity which was originally called the uh, Greek and Greek Cypriot community of Enfield, but now it's called called something else. She's she's uh, no longer. Um, she sort of handed over the keys to someone else, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's you know very very successful uh, nowadays. But you know, I saw that growing up. That, what an amazing thing that is to see, right? You know, wow. You know, a, 
a parent who outside of their day job and outside of all the other millions of other things that they that they're doing you know you know commits to wanting to do something charitable you know so i've always i've always sort of grown up with the idea of charity being the sort of pinnacle of <laughs> pinnacle of being really i've always always felt that you know so i've had that fortunate uh, position of, of being inspired and having that that sort of case as a role model you know mm-hmm. that's really interesting to hear like to hear that you've kind of had that inspiration throughout and that actually there's there's a lot to to learn from your family but also from being charitable and giving back you know even if you're trying to find support for yourself actually you kind of find that sense of community along the way potentially have you have you managed to kind of I don't know. I mean, I know that you've created the charity, but do you feel like you found support as a dad of of children who are autistic? Do you feel like there's more of a kind of network you can rely on now? Uh, yes, today, yes. Uh, over the years, it has been difficult, honestly speaking, finding you know people who who just you know feel right for me in terms of saying the right things or saying saying the things that I need to hear and 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 uh you know giving me the space to talk and be good being good listeners and so forth it is really difficult finding those people though honestly speaking and yeah I'm not sure I mean I've had some success I would say over the years um it's hard for, for dads you know in particular I think it's we're not very good and me included we're, we're not very good at at opening up really about our our feelings and wanting to to sort of um sort of be vulnerable in that way you know and so for me i think partly you know what all of this work is somewhat self-serving because you know i always find that i feel my mental health almost gets a boost from seeing other people getting and getting a boost from the work that we're doing you know i think mm-hmm. it is quite a lot of research actually that shows that you know volunteering and and uh, you know being kind with your time and helping others is actually great for your own mental health and I think that that is certainly true for me so um yeah it's, it's been quite self-serving but as for your question yeah over the years I've, I've built I've built a bit of a network but more than I suppose my main uh support has, has been my wife really you know so um yeah but it's difficult really really difficult it's a difficult one to to find the right people that connect with you and you know so yeah mixed support mixed sorry mixed levels of success I would say on that front Mm -hmm. I think I feel like that in a way as well because kind of I started my online presence to try and like just find other people who get it and you do come across people along the way and you make like internet friends and stuff but actually a lot of it is more like admin or like answering messages or like trying to like point people in the direction of support and stuff obviously as a charity you'll probably be able to do it better than I would as an individual but it's obviously it's great to see that impact on people and people be like, oh, thank you so much for pointing me in the right direction or thank you for, you know, like for me, like this post has been really helpful or something, but actually it doesn't always help you out. But like you said, it boosts your mental health to see other people doing well and other people being like, oh, this really made a difference for my son or my daughter. And actually that's what kind of keeps you going. So I definitely appreciate where you're coming from, where you you've kind of you've made a thing but it's not really for you it's to help others so it's a tricky one I get that <laughs> yeah 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 I totally agree with what Chris said um from my point of view this has been building up in my life um I've been on this journey for a, <laughs> much longer um 
I I think because uh, I didn't receive an autism diagnosis um, when I was younger, uh, I knew nothing about autism until, uh, I mean, I've, I've been a single parent since my son was born and he was uh, diagnosed very early on. Uh, and he's because of his learning dif- difficulties and things like that, um, he got a diagnosis very quickly. Um, and because of my bond with him, I began to uh, be, com- I began to compare my experiences with things that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I found that a lot of things were mirrored with what I'd done when I was that age. Um, so, um, but a lot of my life, um, because of social communication problems and things like that, um, and also just um, the way society was set up 20 years ago, maybe more, there was no internet, uh, that kind of thing. People weren't connected, you know, so if you didn't have those social communication skills, you were, it was really isolating uh, much more than now, now so. Um, so I think I've been waiting for this kind of, I see this as an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, to kind of give something to the world mm-hmm. uh, where I, even though I sort of had these, I had some skills, um, I, I didn't have the opportunity to use them. Um, so I, I've always really wanted to, you know, to give give back and do something to help people. Um, and, you know, uh, my whole mission now is to make sure the next generation uh, of autistic people don't have to go through that social isolation. Um, so that's really a, a driving force. Um, and... Uh, because I'm a full-time carer, I do have, uh, you know, some time. So probably when I should be resting, I'm more more than uh, likely to be working on stuff for the charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, other parents might be, be resting or whatever, but um, I'm definitely putting most of my time to, you know, into a full-time full-time job. You know, even though. I, I don't take a salary. Um, I think it's important to there's so much that's been left undone over you know decades that that needed to be done, um, and we need to catch up. So anything that I can do now, even if it's something small, it all adds up. Uh, so that's kind of what what you're seeing in the newsletter is all those little things coming together that we try and do, and you know every little thing that a volunteer does we try and mention in the newsletter it's know. so great to um, see like in your newsletter as well like all the different like volunteers you have like I think you have like a like a siblings kind of um zoom that you do and I also saw there was one on like trains and one on like makeup and stuff and I love that you've got this like real variety of like passionate like volunteers who will just talk about like their interests and stuff or you know you can just jump on a zoom and like you know get to know a little bit more about like you know certain trains or something like that or makeup and stuff like I like that you're kind of catering for all sorts of different people <laughs> yeah I think yeah it's been really, really key in um in trying to engage 
autistic people um, and to put them in a social situation where they feel comfortable uh, because otherwise if it was just about being, <laughs> if it was a social group, I think everyone would feel intimidated and yeah it's better when there's a topic almost they are so i mean especially the the rail talk group um we haven't been able to do one for for a while but i'm trying to arrange one uh there's so many people of all ages mostly young people but there are some older people as well uh, and they get so um excited you know Mm -hmm. and they're so knowledgeable Uh, i can't wait to um be able to organize some outings and things like that um because definitely we want to do that kind of thing um definitely around transport there's a big pool of people and also probably something like uh, museum visits uh or around the arts and that kind of thing and music as well there's there's sort of a lot of people we're in touch with that say oh wouldn't it be amazing to do this thing mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely we're up for all those things. (laughs) That's good. I guess it's just a bit like Chris was saying earlier, you kind of you kind of got all this like rolling and stuff and then the kind of pandemic hit and that kind of has stopped you in your tracks in terms of more like in-person kind of things. And I think sometimes as as an autistic person, it's, it's great to do like stuff online and like especially stuff where there's like a topic that people can talk about. But, you know, it's scary to actually get like, out in the world but if you're meeting up with other people who also potentially hate going out in the world as well it might feel a little bit less scary (laughs) yeah and at least you can you know what you're talking about yeah because that's a big problem if you go into a situation and you don't know anything about what you're going to be talking about it's Mm -hmm. just I just get total anxiety and I start stuttering (laughs) at least knowing like a time a place what you're going to do and the venue and everything like that that sounds that sounds great <laughs> less yeah. scary than friends meeting up <laughs> and you actually have the knowledge of of the topic you know that's quite interesting actually because where you know when we started vol- uh, recruiting volunteers we had some set ideas about what we wanted them to do initially so this is all part of our learning really so you know we went into these kind of interviews really with you know keen volunteers saying you know we want this we want that but then we asked them we always Crucially, we ask them, you know, what are you interested in? What do you, you know, what are your uh, sort of areas of expertise? And, and you know, as as you know, uh, like you know, you know, like like all people really, autistic, autistic people have you know particular interests and sometimes very very special interests. Mm-hmm. And you know, it became very very clear to us that actually we should be we should be leveraging these special interests. So it should be more, less about what where, what we want. And more about what what they could maybe bring to us, you know, from their own um, particular uh, interests and and knowledge and what and whatnot. So you know, these things like makeup and um, there was another one, uh, landscaping, and um, uh, you know, other other types of of topics. Um, can't recall now, but you know, a wide range of different topics, like historical things. You know, somebody had a a special interest in Greek Greek history, and another one had a special interest in um, uh, uh, different types of, if I remember correctly, different types of bathrooms in uh, central central London. You know, old bathrooms in old buildings and that okay. sort of thing. And and you know, we would never have thought of these kinds of things. So you know, James and I thought, you know, why don't we 
take these special interests and and try and make some sort of online social groups or workshops and uh, around those interests you know because maybe there are many other people who are particularly keen in makeup or landscaping and so forth and so forth so and yeah that's what that's what happened and uh, that's been really really successful so we've learned to balance kind of pushing what we want because there are certain things that we we know that we want yeah. uh but uh but also bringing to the table you know some of that kind of unique identity and particular interests and knowledge that they bring uh and leverage that so that that was that was quite a good bit of learning for me you know i didn't anticipate that going going into recruiting volunteers yeah and do you mind me asking how many volunteers you have uh, I think we've got about, uh, James might be better to answer this question because he keeps track of it more closely, but I think we've got about 20, okay. maybe. I think it's, it's approaching 30 now because um, wow. I've been recruiting a few more the last couple of weeks. And well, one of the most successful things we've done over the time of the pandemic is uh, the befriending scheme that we've mm-hmm. got going. So um, we'll pair a volunteer with an autistic person who contacts us from the community or they might uh, already be in some kind of distressful situation and they'll be referred to us by a local authority or a GP mm. or someone like that. Um, and uh, our, our volunteer will uh, be matched to their preference. So if they prefer a man or a woman or autistic or they don't mind a non-autistic person. Mm-hmm. And if they require more of a mental health support because they've been through a trauma, uh, then we might put in uh, one of our volunteers that uh, has some expertise in mental health, or we might commission someone further, a, a mental health professional to help them out with some uh, talking therapy as well, helps them to to open up to, um, you know, having some kind of, at least having some kind of contact with somebody um, in what, also what whatever method they're comfortable with. So sometimes it's through text messaging or WhatsApp or emails. Some people prefer Zooms um, and hopefully when the pandemic is gone, then some people might like to meet up in the community, but it's entirely up up to it's worked out between the volunteer and the client that's that's applying to us that's Um, already started hasn't it james in in some cases the face-to-face yeah Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so that's beginning yeah um so that's been a very very successful and popular um scheme and we're getting new requests every day so in anticipation of that we started recruiting extra volunteers So we we sort of got that in place, and I feel comfortable that we can meet the needs of the community over Christmas because that's an especially it can be especially isolating time if people haven't got families and things like that. That sounds great. I love I love that you're ta- you tailor it so much as well as to how you know who they prefer and if they're autistic or not, and even just like down to how like you communicate with them, like because. Sometimes I can't, I can't face a phone call. Like you just want to message someone or email someone. That's so it's great that you're, you know, 
like just tailoring it to the person and really what they need. Yeah, just to say, we also tailor it for the a volunteer as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to respect uh, his or her um, uh, particular communication preferences also, you know. Uh, so we've been told by some volunteers that they'll only, you know, for now, because of whatever reason, they're only comfortable in doing it a certain way, you know, via emails and, and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we make that quite clear to the Beth befriendee that that is the, the you know that's the sort of parameters at least initially mm-hmm. and so yeah yeah I'm quite proud of that also that kind of particular tailoring and um yeah as James says it has been very very successful this befriending scheme that we have and uh we're keen to see it grow uh to grow further but ju- just just to emphasize again what James said that sometimes we we come across people whose mental health needs additional kind of intensive support you know, and, and befriending is great. Don't get me wrong. Befriending makes a big, big difference to people's lives, but it's sort of low level mental health support. You know, our, our volunteers are not mental health professionals. You know, they're just good people who are, who are providing, you know, uh, some sort of compassionate space and some, some em- empathetic listening and, you know, giving some time, you know, but they're not mental health professionals. Right. So, um, you know, from time to time we get these, people who come to us and as James said, it could be trauma, it could be depression, you know, significant anxiety, or maybe they're really, really uh, uh, confused about their self uh, identification as an autistic person. And so what we do then is we try as much as we can to commission, as James said, experts, autistic experts, autistic mental health experts uh, in particular to work with them one-to-one. And that costs us money, but that for us is uh, really, really, um, you know, good value. You know, that's that's money well spent. And we don't have a lot of money, so we could yeah. do a lot more. But what money we do have, we, we pr- I'm proud to say we genuinely spend it that, in a way that makes an impact. One other um, thing I wanted to mention, uh, it's not only autistic people that we support in that way. So um, we've had quite a few uh, families where parents and carers especially over the pandemic um, or for other reasons, even before the pandemic, um, they faced some kind of crisis which impacted really badly on the family. So we have uh, commissioned mental health experts for, to help them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in turn helps them care for their autistic uh, children. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it, sound, it sounds like such a... I mean, it sounds like such a great thing, but also that you're, you know, impacting so many different people by being able to offer this service. And like you're saying, you're a charity and obviously it costs you that money. But like you said, it's money well spent at the end of the day, if you can impact a life and help make someone's life that little bit better. Um, you do so much. You do, you do, you offer so many. <laughs> I don't know how, how you do it all. <laughs> and you have a podcast, which we haven't mentioned. and you're making that as well so that's that's another you know avenue of <laughs> what made what made you want to start the podcast actually it was something I wanted to ask when I was on your podcast <laughs> oh great great question great question <laughs> so uh, uh when, when we found when we founded the charity at the end of 2017 we knew what we were about in terms of our values right and our, our philosophy you know that we were obviously all about neurodiversity you know we wanted to it, you know, reduce autism stigma and discrimination. We wanted to promote uh, 
autism acceptance and social inclusion. So we had all these kind of lofty goals, let's say, you know, uh, but we didn't really know at the beginning in the early stages how to kind of, you know, have a make a make an impact on that, on that kind of social level. Mm-hmm. So I think it occurred to me early in 2018, I think, uh, that there wasn't actually, as far as I could see, that many good at the time, that many good uh, autism related podcasts. I couldn't mm-hmm. see, I don't know, maybe my, maybe my searching wasn't very good, <laughs> but I couldn't see that many. And uh, podcasts at the time were getting more and more popular. I was really enjoying them. And I had a couple of, a couple of podcasts that I, I really, really, really enjoyed. You know, I'd listen to very regularly. And I thought, you know, why don't we, it just occurred to me, why don't we do a, a podcast? Because a podcast would be a great way of, uh, in, you know, creating the impact that we're trying to create you know, in relation to our charitable objectives, you know, having those kinds of conversations about why neurodiversity is important, you know, why autism stigma needs to be uh, reduced and so forth and so forth. Just having the conversations and getting those conversations out mm-hmm. to as many people as possible, that that could be quite transformative. So um, that was really the, that was really the sort of um, the beginnings of the, the podcast. That was the first concrete thing that we did as a charity that um we felt would align to what we were trying to do and sort of filled filled a space that we couldn't really see was was uh being previously filled so yeah and that that has been also really really successful you know we were one of the as far as i can tell uh, from the statistics were one of the most popular uh autism related podcasts uh in the country and uh were quite popular in some other countries as well we're really proud of it, honestly speaking. It's it's a lot. Of, that is a lot of work, you know. Is you know a lot of as you know, it's a lot of planning, you know, a lot of editing, you know, a lot of po- you know production, a lot of advertising, you know, it's, it's work. But it is really rewarding. We love James and I just love having conversations, uh, you know, impactful conversations with with people, and yeah, we, we we we're really proud of the podcast. So you started it in twenty seventeen, did you say? Uh, no, I th- believe it? we started it in 2018. 2018, okay. So it has been, yeah, gosh, you've been going for a while now. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing as well to hear that how well it's done in like the charts and stuff like that. And I think that's genuinely how I kind of came across it as well was it was just, I think it came up on my Spotify or something as like a recommended or like in the top charts or something. And I just went through a few of your podcast episodes and was like, this is really interesting. Like, like you say, it's so interesting to just have like really kind of informal chats with other you know people who are neurodiverse or you know from different walks of life and stuff like that and I think that's what that's why I love doing my podcast like you say it's a lot of work but it's so rewarding in hearing people's stories and actually I think a lot of people do tune in just to hear the genuine kind of bits and know that someone else is potentially struggling and stuff like that and it's great to hear as a charity that you've kind of not just from a marketing perspective kind of jumped on the kind of podcast bandwagon as such but actually that you're using it for kind of good as well um so yeah it's really good and you should definitely if anyone's listening i'll put a link to your podcast <laughs> in the in the show notes and that sounds like i'm i'm telling people to go and listen to the one with me on it but i'm not like please go and listen to the <laughs> <laughs> all the other episodes not just me <laughs> well then i should say please go and listen to the episode with emily <laughs> because it was it was fantastic and in fact i'm proud to say it is so far 
the fastest growing episode. So it had has the um, the most uh, first month, um, first week, and first month uh, downloads from any episode. So uh, okay. <laughs> congrats, congrats to us, Thank you. <laughs> especially to you, Emily. <laughs> uh, just to say though, with regard to the podcast, a question for you, Emily, is mm-hmm. I, I, whenever I listen back to one of our episodes, I always I'm always hating how I sound. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of uncomfortable, you know, listening to yourself uh, yeah. natter along. It's, it's, yeah, I don't know. For me, it feels a little bit ooh, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it the same for you or, or is oh, it just me? No, God, yeah, it definitely is. And I find that I spend 90% of my time editing myself more than the guest. Like the guest will be just perfect. And, you know, even if they do mess up, you know, a little bit of editing, I edit more of me just I don't know rambling or emming and like erring like it's it's more me that annoys myself than <laughs> anything else so yeah I get that I do hate hearing myself <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting one when you're editing the errs and erms out you know mm. because you know I do it because I'm thinking oh people don't want to hear them you know and and people want a, a tight quick you know succinct podcast as far as possible do you know what I mean I think podcasts mm-hmm. can be you know, lengthy because they're podcasts, but they should be as far as they can quite polished, right? In, in the final yeah. product. So, you know, I try and remove an ermine and an R and a pause, but then I think, God, am I doing people dis- disservice? You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's the way they communicate, you know, and should I not be sort of more respectful of that? And so when I, I, w- I always feel a little bit uncomfortable deleting errs and erms, you know? mm-hmm. but having said that, I grant you full permission to delete <laughs> all of my errs and erms uh, on this podcast, uh, Emily. In fact, I plead with you to do so. <laughs> I just find as well, like people like on videos and stuff, especially people would comment and saying like, oh, she says like a lot. And then I become more aware that I say a word more often or like I use a filler word more often. And like I say, I shouldn't, like you were saying, like it's just genuine you, like you, you shouldn't have to edit yourself kind of thing. Like I said, like yeah. then, see? like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just who I am and that's the word I use to fill gaps I guess but um yeah yeah, yeah it's tricky isn't it because you don't you want to seem genuine but also you want to seem polished and professional like yeah know, it's tricky <laughs> it's, it's a tricky balance isn't it but yeah I also have identified my own uh filler word or whatever however you want to oh, call really? it yeah I suppose we all we all have them so yours is is like is that what you're saying like, like I never noticed it by the way of. I think I might. Oh, kind of. All right. So kind of is very similar to mine, which is sort of. I I hear myself on the recordings when I go back to edit it, frequently hearing uh, hearing me say sort of. And I say it just in the middle of my my thinking. It just drops in there and I'm not even aware of it. Sort of this, sort of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Someone else is in the same boat as me. (laughs) It comes to struggling to hear themselves. (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, Emily, I just wanted to say, um, I think you contacted us, didn't you? You reached out to us initially, I think. Yeah, I did. Um, So when you did, I obviously checked out who you were uh, and I found your (laughs) podcast and I was was just blown away by the amount of of stuff you've done. Um, So just just to let you know, um, you've done a very impressive amount of stuff. Um, all the people you've collaborated with and you've worked with the BBC and other organisations and fantastic work, you know. Thank you. 
So. And thank you as well for both of you, because when I like reached out to you guys to be like, oh, I'd love to come on your podcast slash would you like to come on mine? You were both very much like, and if you ever need any help or any support or anything like that, like do let us know. And I remember I talked to my mom about it. I was like, especially these, like two really lovely guys today. And they were genuinely like after we chatted about, you know, podcasting stuff, were actually genuinely saying like we realize you're an autistic individual who you know might be struggling with mental health and stuff like that and that you know you might need support at some point so reach out and that meant so much because I've never really had that from anyone else not that I expect it or anything like that but just to know that you're there not just as people to interview if that makes sense but actually as you know a charity and a support kind of network as well was like really big for me so I appreciate the fact that you saw me as an autistic individual and not just like you know I don't know a potential influencer or something <laughs> oh that's really nice of you to say Emily um and yeah I mean honestly speaking I just feel like you know as a society I'd really love for people to just you know even if it's sort of just on a personal level you know rather than a kind of formal level just ask more often, you know, people, you know, around them as to whether or not they're all right, didn't need any help because, you know, you may not be, we're, we're lucky. We have, we're a charity. We have resources. We know a lot of people, we have some money, we can help. Um, but if you're doing it just as an individual, you know, that's brilliant because, okay, maybe you can't help, but you might be able to, you know, connect that person uh, with somebody or some organization that could, you know I mean, you can always, move you could maybe move things forward so yeah. uh, i would sort of ask that people don't feel powerless don't don't not ask whether people need any help or if they're doing okay because you think you can't do anything about it you know just even asking is 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 amazing and so you know if we james and i really believe in that and that's why we always you know do that uh when when we come across uh, people for the first time we always try and ask if if they ever need, you know, if they need any help, we're here for them, you know, and that, that is absolutely 100% true as well. Mm -hmm. And do you like, as a charity, like kind of coming on from, you know, the fact you might want to start up a women's group, do you have a sort of kind of roadmap or like a list of things you'd like to do? Oh, kind of thing? Is oh that we a thing? certainly do. Um, do. <laughs> uh, I've, there, there's um, one of our volunteers is very knowledgeable. Uh, she's, uh, she, she uh, works for professional uh, speech and language therapy um, organization. Um, she's very knowledgeable about a lot of things, um, a lot of technical things. Um, so a lot of sort of diagrammatic um, organizational flowchart. <laughs> okay. You know, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and one of the things she introduced me to is a thing called lucid chart which is a software where you can create any kind of flow chart okay um and i did have a little go on that and i in about i'd written down all the things that i want us to, to achieve at the end of say i don't know say 50 years because that's you know how long i think that when I started thinking about it, the National Autistic Society had been around for that long. Okay. Uh, and in my opinion, they haven't really addressed these issues that we need to think about that we've started thinking about. So um, I've set us these goals and I've put them into a flow chart. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very big flow chart. 
Uh, there's a thing called theory of change. That's what it's called. Um, and so I put like a, a nice neurodiversity infinity symbol over the top of it. It's a massive flowchart. And what we're going to do is print them out and we're going to have them around. Um, we're going to start um, our first community hub drop-ins okay. this year in in January um, in North London in Southgate. Uh, we're going to have those uh, printed out flowcharts around the place. So maybe a, like a tablecloth or something like that. <laughs> They're quite nice. massive, but I think it's going to be a talking point and it's going to get people in, you know, going to get the awareness out there of what we're planning to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of showing what we're all about and how we're going to achieve it and all the different parts, um, all the different areas that fit into changing society for the better when it comes to autistic people and then the outcomes at the at the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we, do, we have a lot of plans. Um, I, I've got a big Google Drive with folders and <laughs> plans and plans and plans and lots of different things organising all the different areas of the charity. So, yeah, we sound like the mastermind behind all the like documents and design. (laughs) Again, it's only because I have to be because there isn't anybody else to do it and it needs Mm -hmm. to be done, you know, and I would I would have been quite happy to hand over to 100 other people. (laughs) um, But they just aren't at the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that we do get the intake of volunteers that we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've only got really the number of volunteers that it takes to run a small um, local oh, advocacy organisation, you know, like these one-stop shop kind of organisations that um, do one area of advocacy, like they might handle one particular social problem. They normally have upwards of 30 staff, 30 to 50 staff on site. We've only got that for the whole charity. So hopefully uh, if we keep sort of recruiting and recruiting we'll, and, and we become more in the public eye, we'll get more um, awareness of what we're doing and more people will come on board. So do you think it's kind of volunteers that you're after? Is that what you're kind of hoping um, to kind of gain more of? We're sort of, we always sort of manage to find a balance and achieve what we want to do very slowly. So we're careful not to overextend ourselves in what we do next. Mm -hmm. But we do have all these goals, you know, in our folders, (laughs) in our plans. Mm -hmm. So the more volunteers we get on board now, the more quickly we can move forward with our plans. But we are sort of very pragmatic and, and, careful in in uh, what we're trying to you know achieve at every stage so we do plan out what we do and sort of factor that in um so that we've got enough people to cover what we're doing because we don't want to fail you know in any of the things we're doing mm-hmm. and chris is there anything that you wanted to add to that yeah, I mean, it's. It, I agree with James. You know, we're very strategic. We're sort of slow and steady. You know, it's cook, cook it. You know, bake that cake properly. Do you know what I mean? Or rush that that bake. 
Um, but you know, it is true that you know volunteers are critical for us. We do need we do need um, good quality, keen, you know, compassionate volunteers who's who's you know uh, who really are committed to 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 our cause. You know, and not just you know we've got to be a little bit careful because sometimes you know people are keen but they're not coming at it at the right angle or you know they've got slightly different agendas so even recruiting volunteers is is a careful process and time time consuming um but yeah no more volunteers is is what we want but i think i think going forwards we also need you know ultimately some some people you know uh managing the charity on a more full-time basis because you know james is full-time carer he does it the work that he does for charity is as as good as a full-time job for sure but he's doing it sort of you know as a sacrifice really he's not getting paid and and he's got a million other things you know he's only got so much energy and i've you know i'm also maxed out so i think if we're going to grow the charity we need you know um a more kind of uh leaders at the top you know who can take it forward uh on a, on a more full-time basis you know so yeah i mean it's about slowly growing with good strategy good leadership more volunteers uh, but always that same passion and uh, uh, compassion as well at, at the heart of it. It's really interesting to get an insight into all the different things that you do, obviously as a charity, but all the different things that you have to consider at the same time. And you don't want to grow too slowly, but you don't want to grow too quickly and not have enough you know, staff, volunteers and stuff like that. And just having to have a kind of careful balance of growing at a good pace and having manageable kind of expectations and things like that and it must be difficult if you know all you want to do is help as many people as physically possible but again you want to help them in the right way and help them you know properly I guess um so it's interesting to get that insight into what it is like to to run a charity and a charity where you're both you know essentially just pouring in your free time and as much kind of energy as you have left over at the end of the day so it's uh, it, it's 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 interesting to hear and it sounds like things are only going to get bigger and better <laughs> oh thank, thanks thanks for saying that yeah it, i'm learning as as we go along as well you know i'm for me it's every every day i'm learning and thinking about new things and considering new points um yeah i mean ultimately it is about you know, changing people's lives, but it's, it's, it's tricky because you want to impact individuals, but you also want to impact a population as well. So yes, we can, and we do meet people individually and and give them support, you know, so we'll, we'll, for example, set aside an hour and a half, sit, sit down with, with, with somebody who needs, you know, substantial advice and support. And we'll, we'll talk, we'll listen, we'll listen, listen to them, you know talk talk through their experiences and needs and so forth we'll give them the advice and that's great but that's one and a half maybe one and a half two hours of our time uh for one person so the challenge for us is how do we translate one and a half two hours of our time to 10 people and 100 people you know so this is the challenge really Uh, you know how do we grow in a way that uh, impacts more people on a population level but but at the same time, we don't lose that 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 sort of special quality that makes us us. You know, when you know, i.e., that we're we're very much a kind of 
family, almost like a family orientated charity. We're not kind of, you know, not corporate, you know, kind of culture where, you know, very much hands-on, kind, compassionate, you know, we want to, we want to spend time, quality time with people. You know, that's what, that's what we're about. That's what we believe in. So how do we grow to affect more and more people positively, but without losing that? That's, that's a, a tricky one. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what you said about like, you know, kind of more corporate and like bigger charities. And I feel like as an autistic person, you can, you can feel kind of almost put off by the enormity of a charity or like not knowing how to contact a charity because there's just so many divisions and stuff. Whereas like you're saying, like a kind of family run or like, you know, volunteer run kind of charity that kind of seemingly really care. Yeah. It's like restaurants. Yeah. It's like restaurants, isn't it? You know, you don't want to, I, I don't want us to become, you know, the McDonald's chain. Honestly, as, as successful as McDonald's is, you know, yeah. you know, and as, as fantastic as McDonald's is, I'm not saying anything wrong, is anything wrong with McDonald's. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's a particular kind of, you know, culture, you know, it's fixed, it's structured, you know, we want to be, what we are is that, you know, local home run family restaurant that you know pours love into their you know food and their work so that's, that's what we are but we want we want we still want to you know grow that to affect and impact as many people as possible but not lose that 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 um kind of culture of of uh, of compassion and kindness you know so it's really tricky in helping the local communities we've found some people want to pay back so they will volunteer in return mm-hmm and give their time there is that kind of element that we will get rewarded at the end of the day and so i think we can sort of keep that balance and keep that um the local feel uh, we have got um some links with schools now and we'll be going into schools to give talks so okay. um it's really um not about not rushing things mm-hmm. i see this as a very long-term thing you know and it's not even about my lifetime you know it's about doing what we can do now as fast as we can but also making sure that the quality of the work is there in everything we do and so that we leave something lasting you know we leave that behind and for another generation to carry on doing Mm -hmm. and because you know all the big charities that there are now they were formed by somebody you know national statistics society was formed by some families, you know, in one house, and that's now one of the biggest charities. We we can do the same, definitely. Um, it's just a matter of matter of time, and the more we do, you know, people will come on board with us. We 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 will grow it, but it's not a question of even thinking about the time it will take. That that will things will just take their natural course, and I think if it takes however many years, it it doesn't matter. But we will have the impact. Because uh, if, even if we impact, it's every every person we impact, that's one person, you know. Exactly. And I think sometimes it's more important to know you've helped. Like for me as well, like just knowing you've helped one person is enough like to keep you going. And, you know, you can have big dreams and aspirations for the things that you want to do with like your charity or like for me, like with my work. But actually just every so often if someone messages you and said, you know, what you've done really helped me it just keeps you going and it just reinforces those like aspirations and stuff and yeah it's nice that you're you're kind of community focused and that like you're willing to like talk to schools and stuff like that I think that's really important and 
the whole like drop-in like center idea that sounds really great as well for just just like meeting like-minded people I think that's all people ever want in life is to meet people who get it so that sounds really good is that going to be more like in a new year kind of thing like uh so the first day we're starting is January the 9th in uh in the local community in Southgate in North London uh at the local church hall there so it's St Andrew's church mm-hmm. next to Asda if anyone's listening <laughs> good to know <laughs> your stop reference. come and meet us yeah one, one o'clock it, what it is it'll be the second Sunday uh of every month from 1 p.m to 3 p.m in St Andrew's hall church hall in in Southgate and uh yeah yeah we're really really it's the first first time we're doing this so we're going to sort of learn as we go along um but James and I recognized you know that there's nothing like this as far as we could see that currently exists you know you drive around and you see the shops and you see the businesses and the high street and there's nothing visible in terms of oh you know come in and speak to us and get support you know if you need if you're part of the autism community you know of course there are you know there's there's mind there's age uk and you get all these various charity shops and whatnot but this kind of thing we we want it to become a more visible presence um uh, uh, across london as frequently as possible as as the years go by and as as james was saying you know it's just about things taking their natural progression if 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 we're not there yet in terms of expanding it across london you know very very quickly then if it takes 20 years so be it do you know what i mean but that is the 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 vision that we have that there are these sort of drop-in hubs that people can go in and, and speak to someone at any time and, and get some support but we're going to start slowly and learn as we go along mm-hmm. i feel like i should ask you as well because we haven't really i've said like oh i mentioned a website and stuff like that where can people sort of follow you and kind of see some more information or like donate and kind of get involved where where are the best places to find you online <laughs> um so we've got a website it's uh, charity.org um and so we've got all our main all our services on there a lot of information general information about autism about the autistic community in London. Um, we've got our map where we list most of the main organisations that can help autistic people and families, uh, or autistic friendly, autism friendly um, activities in London. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, we we also got um, most of the other main social media platforms we're on. So we're on Twitter, um, it's just at lag charity. We're on Instagram, uh, we're on TikTok, where we've got some videos that I've made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so every event that we'll do, we will advertise on all these, all, all the social media platforms. Um, obviously we're on Facebook. We've got the Facebook support group, our community is about people, uh, parents and carers, and some professionals as well. They, they, they are amazing at supporting people that come with their 
questions and problems, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So if anyone has any any questions, that, that's the place to go. Okay. I feel I should mention that also it's like a private group um, and also, as well. You have to kind of get invited to it. Does that make sense? Like you apply to the Facebook group and it's like a private. Yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> we are very careful about um, safety and who we let in and this kind of thing um, about standards. We've got a lot of rules that we make people sign up to, read through and then sign up to before we allow them in. And we do monitor if people follow the rules. Um, so, for instance, there's a lot of companies that will try and sell various services yeah. and yeah. try and promote them on, on their app. Like our admin team will scream out, scream out, and yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because uh, you know we have these all these rules, and we do. Yeah, as James said, we ask people to commit to them for for. Uh, joining you know one of them is you know don't join if you're joining with the primary intention of advertising you know if your primary intention is advertising don't join <laughs> and yet you know people say okay and then you know they commit to that and then the first thing they do is advertise without admin permission and it's like oh you know and so yeah that's why you know an admin team is really required especially when you've got three thousand people and you know our, our, i'm proud to say that our group gets about 50,000 uh, views on comments every month. So it's a very, very active group. I think 90% yeah. uh, of our group have, have our group members have accessed the group over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, it's just most people using it. And that's partly down to the fact that we screen people, we remove people that, that misuse it. Mm -hmm. And we try as much as we can to just only keep people that are really in it for the right reasons, you know? That's yeah. So, yeah. And if you do want to donate, you can do that at the website, by the way, LondonAwesomeGroupCharity.org. There's a big donate button that James set up for us. And uh, on the Facebook uh, public page so as well. So we have a public Facebook page as well as the private uh, group. So the public page uh, is just Facebook.com forward slash London Awesome Group Charity. If you go there again, there's a donate button. And uh, yeah, if you do have any money at all, little even a little bit just uh, and you'd like to support us please 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 do and i can promise you and assure you that we uh, put it to good use oh amazing was that anything else that we've missed talking about before i be like goodbye <laughs> was there anything that yeah I, I have a very important question for you emily when we did our podcast mm -hmm. i was talking about star trek and I said to you, oh, yeah, make sure you go on YouTube <laughs> and search for what a holodeck looks like. Because we were talking about sensory rooms yeah. and I was saying how holodecks would be the ultimate kind of sensory uh, spaces. Mm -hmm. And uh, you hadn't heard of a holodeck, which, you know, honestly speaking, didn't sit well with me. I've, I've been losing sleep over it. You know, and uh, so I, I need to ask you, have you had the chance to go on YouTube and search for what a holodeck is? I literally did that evening. I was like, I, I felt like it was my homework. I was like, Chris would ask me to do this. <laughs> and it definitely feels like that sensory like like vibe. I definitely get that. So I'm glad you um pointed me in the direction of Star Trek. Oh, that's 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 great. That, that's great. That's I put me that at you ease. Remember that. <laughs> Although you, you probably should have let me know straight away that you you've done it because you know it's been bothering me. Oh, she not know what a holodeck is, all, she all these. Know. All these weeks, uh, but no, that's that's great. What, what did you think of it? 
as someone who had never watched Star Trek, it actually made me think like, oh, I should probably like, I'd actually find it quite interesting. Oh, well, if you uh, need any tips or anything like that, just to come to James and I, James and I are both big Star Trek fans. Oh, we actually had a Star Trek uh, guest actress on the podcast for one episode. Oh, really? A lady called Julie Caitlin Brown, I think her name is. Yeah. And um, she, yeah, she guest starred in a few Star Trek episodes. And the reason we had her on the podcast was because her, one of her family members is autistic and she, she was talking about the vision of uh, Star Trek and mm-hmm. how it kind of aligns with diversity and that sort of thing. That was quite interesting. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. How, like, how far back was that? Oh, uh, that was uh, maybe early, early last year. I can't recall now, okay. James. It's about five or six episodes back, I think, right. from what we are now. I'll have, I'll have a look. Yeah. Um, uh, well, um, that might also be an interesting uh, topic to have for a Zoom, a, a Zoom group. You know, Star Trek and that kind of thing. <laughs> I think I know the person that's going to lead that group. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who that will be. <laughs> be wearing my Star Trek uniform proudly. Got my Captain Pips on my collar. And you can call me Captain Picard during that. that you can uh, change the background of Zoom. Yeah. Oh yeah, my God, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so nice to have you on my podcast and to have been on yours. And hopefully this is just kind of spreading the word of what you do um, further. And yeah, I'll definitely um, obviously keep in touch. Yeah, we'd love that. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, let's definitely stay in touch. And uh, yeah, maybe we can do another... Uh, collab in the future that might be quite interesting in like a year's time or something obviously maybe speak between them but like do like a kind of like how far have you come in a year kind of thing (laughs) yeah that sounds that sounds great love that cool thank you so much i really appreciate um you both coming on thank you so much emily for having us on it's been a pleasure and uh really enjoyed it and thanks for everything that you do all the amazing work that you do and uh uh yeah uh stay safe and stay well and speak to you soon yes thank you so much emily it's been a real honor for us uh, and we'd love to uh, work with you again in the future